Welcome to the Learning Laborers Podcast, where we are passionate about integrating scholarship and ministry experience. Hi, this is Denver. If you've been enjoying these podcasts, we really encourage you to take a quick moment to rate and review the show in your podcast provider. We also invite you to share the podcast with others that you think would enjoy these conversations. Speaking of which, today on the podcast, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Bob Blinko. Bob studied history at the University of Oregon before pursuing a Master's of Divinity and a Master's of Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And he later earned a PhD at William Carey International University, where he studied with Dr. Ralph Winter. In addition to his academic pursuits, Bob and his wife Jan have been engaged in a variety of ministry contexts over the past five decades, from evangelism to pastoring to overseas missions work, and more recently, leading and mobilizing missionaries who serve among Muslim people groups around the world. As someone who's been involved in the academy as well as on-the-ground ministry, Bob provides some great insight into what it means to bring those two worlds together. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Denver. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So maybe just start by hearing a little of your story of how the Lord led you and your wife overseas, how you got interested in your more academic studies and, and where that's led you. Good. I became a Christian at the University of Oregon uh, mm. through a campus ministry and on the second day after my conversion, I was in the student union building with my uh, my new friends uh, talk, talking about Jesus Christ. Mm. So looking back, I'd say from the beginning, I was an evangelist with other like-minded people. I had a second conversion experience in college, and that mm. was to learning. I read a paper by Dorothy Sayers called The Lost Tools of Learning, how a person in the Middle Ages got a better education than people do today. Back then, they learned how to learn for themselves. Mm. Not that teachers are not important, but that they could uh, dig into the material themselves without being assigned Mm -hmm. material. This uh, had a profound effect upon my life and prepared me for seminary. The third conversion that I had was at seminary in the required class on missions. I had planned to be a, a pulpit preacher and to... Uh, bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a congregation and their families and their neighbors all of my life. But uh, this class introduced me to the unity of the Bible around God's plan to take back his planet Mm. through a mission effort uh, through Jesus Christ and Mm. those that he would appoint as the Father has sent me, he said, so send I you. And this uh, became then uh, the, the way that I understood my own calling First to Christ, then to hit the bride of Christ, his church, and then to the cause of Christ uh, to become a missionary to the regions beyond. Mm. And so did you complete most of your academic studies before um, moving overseas or were, was some of it um, simultaneous? I went on for other advanced degrees after I became committed to missions. I uh, had uh, that master's degree, which got me uh, into the pulpit, and I was a pastor for six years okay. before I went overseas. So I've been nine years overseas, and then 
23 years in a missions leadership position, okay. uh, focused on sending missionary teams to the regions beyond. So I have a, another degree in missions uh, with an emphasis on Islam. And then okay. I have a PhD uh, from Dr. Ralph Winter, with whom I was privileged to study mm. on the specific topic of two structures of God's redemptive mission, as it was in the beginning of the New Testament, so it is now. The, uh, the congregation that gathers the believers together and the Holy Spirit's work to uh, send some of them out from the congregation to where there are no, uh, no gathered believers mm. and to establish the first congregations of, of redeemed uh, people from non-Christian backgrounds. That's good. Yeah, and a lot. It seems like a lot of your studies and research has revolved around those two structures. Um, do you mind sharing maybe a little bit about, um, kind of as a more general question before we get into the specifics, as we read the New Testament and look at the example of the apostles in the New Testament of the early church, how it formed, the way it functioned, uh, how much of it do you see it as a model for how we do ministry? Um, today and and in every context and culture, um, well, how do you see the correspondence between what's going on in Acts and the New Testament and how we go about doing ministry and how the church functions today? This is this is a tremendous question, yeah. and uh, yes, the Book of Acts is our source and authority, and our cautionary tale in some mm -hmm. cases of how we ought to be doing missions and uh, life in the church. Uh, the New Testament presents two apostolic kinds of people, Paul and Peter. This is most mm -hmm. uh, pronounced in Galatians chapter 2, and maybe we'll get to that in a specific later. But yes, the book of Acts and, uh, is our informer, our uh, teacher. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that brought the church into being in Pentecost. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in Acts chapter 2, and it is the Holy Spirit that formed the first small missionary bands in Acts chapter 13. So we look to the Holy Spirit as the, uh, as the one who sends and forms mm. new, Christian, uh, new Christians and new Christian efforts to bring about the purposes of God in the farther places. Then there's the cautionary tale of Acts chapter 11, when uh, despite the a command of Jesus Christ to go into all the world to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, mm. we still find those Jewish apostles in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. And when they were forced by the, uh, the, the persecution, the fall of the stoning of Stephen to leave, the Bible says that they went to three cities, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and preached the word, but only to the Jews. Mm. This has to be Luke's way of saying there was some failure or resistance on the part of the Jewish uh, uh, apostles to actually do what they'd been commanded to do in, in the very mm. beginning. Mm. But it doesn't end like that. Right. The Lord will have his purposes among the farthest reaches of the people. And that story develops with Paul and his effort to bring about uh, establishing churches uh, in the farther places. But the undercurrent of Paul's work is also his, the need that he has to look back and deal with a certain a determination of the 
uh, leaders of the church in Jerusalem mm. that Paul's efforts should be um, that Paul should ask his new believers to start doing this and to stop doing that. Yeah. And there you have by the there you have most of the book of Acts all at once in this summary, the commission of the Holy Spirit that we should be forming the, the enormous groups of people mm. coming to faith. The uh, the commission of the Holy Spirit to do that in large in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and then the specifics of the Holy Spirit in Acts 13, that by smaller missionary bands, that the Holy Spirit sends, Acts 13, 4, uh, this task will be begun in the New Testament mm -hmm. uh, through Acts 28, but with also a stir, a sense of uh, that, the New, that the New Testament people have different versions of what should be required of this uh, of the missionaries that go out and of the churches that they found, and that's how the book ends in Acts twenty eight, mm -hmm. leaving us uh, to figure out how we ought to be faithful to the Lord and His mission in our day. Mm. Wow! So as you um, begin to look at this model of these two structures that are going on in the Book of Acts. Um, how did how did uh, Dr. Winter influence your thinking about those structures, and then how did you kind of build upon um, what you learned from him as you as you went deeper and, and further into that to that study? First, Dr. Winter was a student of the New Testament and the entire Bible to uh, to come to a proposal, a theory, which he called the two structures of God's redemptive mission, and. Uh, in your original question at the beginning of this podcast, you asked if it is uh, universally applicable to all cultures. And he would say yes. In every culture and in every time, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is starting these two structures. One is the entirety of the believing community, the assembly of the faithful, the largest, the largest number of people that we can gather in a city or in a neighborhood or in the church universal this is the entirety and he applied an anthropological term to that called the modality but there's also a second structure which the holy spirit begins in the new testament uh, which is the missionary bands mm -hmm. and they are autonomous they are started by the holy spirit and they are accountable to one another for the uh outcomes that they have been given and to the character of the people that are involved. And Dr. Winter also said that these missionary structures, the smaller bands, the like-minded people whom God brings together for mission purposes are accountable to the larger structure too, mm. in the principle that the, the greater uh, number of people should hold accountable those smaller number of people, but not by macro micromanaging the smaller structures. Mm. <clears throat> This was taken care of, you might say, in, in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul says, After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again and brought Timothy with me, that I might be examined for the version of the gospel that I am preaching. Mm. And that uh, meeting at that point went well, and there was a sense of approval. So Paul was happy. But then an undercurrent began as uh, some spy stepped into our meeting and uh, watched us uh, and, uh, 
and a spite upon our freedom. It's the first time freedom is used in the gospel in the book of Galatians. It will come up again, and we have mm-hmm. to keep those other uh, references in mind when we look when we look at them from what Paul says in Galatians two. So then the whole meeting has to happen again because there's this uproar. Now Paul names the other people in the room, Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the church. And the result of that meeting was extremely important for our discussion here, that there were two kinds of apostolic people and purposes. One was Peter's. The apostleship of Peter was where the gospel was already established Mm -hmm. and where it would continue to grow and, and where people of like mind would come to faith in the Jewish way. But the second apostolic experience was Paul and Barnabas's, that they would uh, be called the apostles to the Gentiles, to the people that had never been uh, part of that great Old Testament heritage. They would have to become, uh, they would have to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from a faraway place, far Mm -hmm. off, as the Old Mm -hmm. Testament calls the Gentiles. They shook hands on this. Denver. Uh, And that handshake in Galatians 2 is to me the high point, the teaching point, the place we want to start and remember in our mission today and the relationship between the church where it exists and the missionary leaders who are going to where the church doesn't exist. Frankly, I don't think that Peter, James, and John and Paul and Barnabas totally understood each other at that meeting, but they recognized, this is the key Greek word, they recognized the apostleship of each other and that they would shake hands and not try to uh, control or sheriff the other persons or the other kind of apostleship. So yes, let's be people of uh, who are going back to the New Testament to get our bearings mm. in terms of the relationship between these two structures of God's redemptive mission. As that's a you know like a, a model to imitate the these two structures, as you said, that there's the church structure or, or ecclesi- ecclesial structure, and then there's the um, mission orders or the those that are being sent out to the new places. These these um, bands of like-minded apostolic figures when when would you say that that model um, began to, t- to deteriorate in church history how how long do you think that that lasted and and what happened to it it's a very good question and uh first first of all just to center again on the new testament i mm-hmm. think something was resolved mm-hmm. there in galatians chapter 2 and we we should be going back to that again and again well, the Catholic version of Christianity continued that resolution pretty well. Mm. There have always been two structures in the Catholic version and in the Greek versions of Christianity. Mm. That is, the, the monasteries of the Catholic Church and the monasteries of the Greek Church carried on this sense of like-minded people finding one another and being determined Mm. to follow Christ in a serious way. Every Catholic knows that there's many nominal believers going to the Catholic church on Sunday morning because you baptize babies and you consider them part of the whole group. So there's lots of nominal people. The Catholics never said anything, but yes, I realize that. But the Catholics also had this other method, 
which was then not the entirety, but the specific mission that people felt like they were called to join. And that's the, the mission legacy of the Catholic Church and the extension of the Catholic Church by these monastic orders. Now along came Luther and Calvin, and they saw only one structure in the New Testament. And they, uh, they dissolved the relationship with the monasteries. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> even, though Ka- even though Luther got his doctoral degree from the Augustinian monks, and frankly, he had some okay things to say about the monasteries if they would uh, live life by faith. But mainly, they, the two men resolved, dissolved the, the monastic orders, leaving us with no mechanism, no mm. way for uh, mission-minded, reformed or Lutheran people to find one another and do mission. In mm. fact, the reformers suppressed those missionary efforts by those who would be upstarts and start something that wasn't started by the church. So mm. we had a 275-year ice age from 1517, the beginning of the Reformation, until 1792, when William Carey, in the freedom of uh, the law as it was allowed in England, following the Parliamentary Enabling Act of 1779, William Carey proposed uh, a mission agency. Hmm. He was a two-structures man, like I would say the New Testament is. He was a member of the Baptist Church, Reformed Baptist Church, and they were somewhat resistant. You know, this is the story. Uh, William Carey, sit down. God will finish this task without your help and mine. But William Carey's zeal brought into being the Baptist Missionary Society. Mm. And he was the first volunteer. He went to India, spent his life in India, you know, translated the Bible in these languages and saw mm. the first converts. But I'm telling you, William Carey changed the world before he went to India. Mm. by leaving behind this 92-page book called An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. And this means, which he, which he coined the term, the, the means of this work would be the formation of small mission societies. So mm. it was the first firecracker in a string of mission agencies which popped into existence following William Carey's example so that the 19th century became the great Protestant mission century mm. instead of the 16th, 17th, or 18th centuries, uh, which were latent, which were ice age. Mm. So this is a, a long example, a 500-year example of the Protestant era, a, a kind of a, a, a case study uh, of why the two structures of, of uh, God's redemptive mission must, must, both, must both be active and must be based in the New Testament. They're not just clever. Mission agencies are not just clever or effective, and we should therefore allow them. I want to help the poor pastor who's furrowing his brow and placing his uh, fists on his forehead and mm. saying, if only the church, as we normally think of church, if only the church were organized correctly, we wouldn't need the mission agencies. Mm. I want to give him a happier day. Uh, not a day which is happier because mission agencies are effective, but because they're biblical. Mm. So we must go back to the Bible, to that understanding which happened in Galatians chapter 2 and many other places in the mm. New Testament. And uh, if we had time, you know, the cultural and historical time of the New Testament mm-hmm. where the Jewish uh, two structures were quite active. 
synagogue in Hevra. There's a new word for our listeners, <laughs> Hevra, which Paul is quite aware of and which he copied as a member of one of those Hevras, the Pharisees, in his work as a, as a leader of a mission effort. Mm. So you see as a pretty ancient model, this going back even into yeah. the, the Second Temple Jewish world. Yes, that's important to me and to uh, ecclesiastical leaders mm. who do want to be faithful to the Bible. Sure. I think if we had Luther and Calvin with us today and another chance to talk, <laughs> we would see them uh, assent to the two structures of God's redemptive mm. mission as biblical. But we didn't get that chance. So we all know as uh, people of the Reformed tradition and Protestants, that we have to uh, let Luther and Calvin just say it like they did, but but we will not be satisfied ourselves until we're biblical. And I mm -hmm. think that's what we have in common with, yeah. with Luther. So if I cannot be convinced by anything, I cannot be convinced by anything but Bible and reason. So here's the ish, ish kann nicht anders. This is where I find common ground with Luther. Mm -hmm. So what would you say would be the ideal relationship between these two structures if we, you know, like you said, there has been a resurgence in the more apostolic mission focused structure of the church as these agencies with Carrie and those who came after him began to pop up among Protestants. What would you say is the ideal relationship between the two structures, between the church as uh, at large in places where the gospel has already taken root and these these groups of like-minded people that are passionate about reaching the nations, how ought they to interact with each other? Right. So there has to be a handshake, mm. either metaphorically or actually, between the ecclesiastical leaders and the missionary uh, bands and leaders. Mm. There has to be a new social contract, a, a recognition and a respect. That's an attitude, first of all. That's a change of understanding of... Uh, what is really there in the New Testament and what should really be there today. So this is a discussion that takes some time mm. to resolve and to repair. But the, the way it could work out in real time is actually uh, <clears throat> modeled by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. They have now recognized uh, the mission efforts that their people are involved in, where the money doesn't go through the church budget and the, uh, uh, the governance doesn't go through the church, mm. but the Lutherans, they have put this up on their website. So I would say any local church or denomination could say, uh, after discussing this with the leadership of the church, their, their governance body, what are the main mission efforts that we recognize, that we approve of, that we want our people to be involved in? And let the congregation have a say in that. Mm. Uh, what are they already involved in? Who are the congregation members who are already on boards of directors of mission agencies or heavily involved in financing or actually going as missionaries? This then could be a signal to all of the members of the congregation. Uh, we are uh, recognizing the two structures. Our congregation is meant to 
do what God brought it into existence for, worship the almighty God and declare the glory of God and to invite people to come to our mm. worship service. And if they have the inclination, start satellite churches around the area or uh, other missional things which a church can do. You know, yeah. there are a half a dozen of those which uh, we, we could talk about, but churches are missional at their core. Let them do those things. But then this as well, that handshake of the New Testament must, res must be, uh, have its, uh, its a form today in which I would say, put it up on your website, talk about it from your pulpit, promote the mission efforts, which are not happening through or uh, accountable to the church itself, except for the largest accountability which the New Testament wants the mission agencies to be under. And this we get from Paul in Galatians 2 when he came to Jerusalem and submitted his version of the gospel mm. to the church leaders, and they approved of it. So put the, uh, put the mission agencies, the 10 or the 15 or the whatever, that the church is most admiring most approving of up on the website and uh, review those relationships, make sure those, those mission agencies are still orthodox in their doctrines and that those mission agencies are financially accountable mm. through an annual audit. Uh, my mission agency and most of the larger agencies are accountable to the Evangelical Council for Fiscal Accountability, ECFA. Mm. And to be a member of that is a great, uh, a great certification, a validation of our finances. Sure. And a church should look for that kind of external audited accountability from the mission agency. So doctrinal accountability, financial accountability, and the church has to say, well, this is a mission that we believe in. We want to send our we want to see the mission of God go forth to the regions beyond, to the places where there is no church. Mm -hmm. We're going to approve of them in public on our website and in the pulpit. Mm. And would you see that accountability is going both ways? Is it primarily these mission structures that are accountable to the ecclesial structures, or would you see it mm. going both ways? Well, that's a very good question because there is a kind of a rumor out there with some basis to it that the mission agencies do not respect the ecclesia like they should. They are mm. rather unable to see the, the uh, values to the, of the local church, and we want to end that as well. So yes, what does the church want back from the mission agencies in this handshake? What does the church expect now to be respected, to be mm. recognized, to use the biblical word from Galatians 2, 6, 7? that it is, uh, for all its faults, this side of eternity, the, the church is the bride of Christ and her eminence mm. should be lifted up. And the uh, New Testament's uh, uh, admiration that Paul had, and he speaks of for the bride of Christ and Christ himself bringing this thing into existence, to, the gates of hell will not, ex mm. uh, not uh, prevail against it. All of this has to be done. So I guess what we're saying is, Denver, there's been some hurt feelings along the way yeah. that kind of cloud the relationship. Sure. We're going to have to uh, talk about those hurt feelings and, and ask some forgiveness Yeah. and to have some contrition 
and to get back with one another in a sense of respect and recognition. Mm. But it doesn't mean that both sides, both structures, finally fully understand the other structure and mm. how it's operating. Uh, that's not what happened in Galatians 2. I think there's a sense mm. of trust that uh, I in, I'm going to entrust the uh, mission agencies and the mission agencies are going to fully trust and respect the local churches without having to, you know, finally get it. How, right. how, how different they are is something that lasts forever in this, in this, in this age. Yeah. That one doesn't absorb the other, um, right, but that absorb. they both see each other as valuable and needed and um, focused on different, but, but good things. I think that's really important. And it seems like as you were describing kind of the history that, uh, in the time of William, William Carey, there was kind of this first step of rebuilding the second structure that had kind of gone missing in Protestant circles for a while. But that even in, in, the, in its rebirth, it was rebirthed in, in kind of opposition and, and resistance um, to the other structure, that there was a lot of opposition to William Carey and what he wanted to do. And That's- maybe a lot of what our task now is, is like you said, rebuilding the trust um, changing the relationship of the two structures so that trust is rebuilt, um, so that partnership is is rebuilt, that right. working together and cooperating as opposed to um, seeing each other as the opposition or competition or, you know, competing for people's dollars or or time or, or energy or anything like that, but seeing one another as, as good um, gifts to the world and, and working together. Uh, in line with what God's purposes are for the world, but in all, different ways. all those viewpoints that de- that separate the two kinds have to be discussed with respect mm. and with the Bible in front of us. Yes, in order to come to a place, I'm not sure. Cooperate, yeah, cooperate. Maybe that is right. Two operations sure. going on, um, but this Holy Spirit, uh, I, I believe is seen in the book of Acts as starting the church large, that's Pentecost, and starting the mission of the church to the regions beyond after a lot of chapters in which it didn't happen very much. Now there's the wonderful exception of Philip the evangelist who, who goes to Samaria and starts something, and he's also the guy that talks to the Ethiopian eunuch. But Philip was one of those Greek uh, deacons. He wasn't the Philip of the of the disciples. He was Philip the evangelist, and he ends up in Caesarea, and Paul visits him, and they recognize their like-mindedness in Acts 19. But uh, yes, uh, the Holy Spirit brought into being both of these kinds of structures. Not that we are wedded to the exactness of the structure of Paul, or the Pentecost experience, but both of them are the Holy Spirit, and both of them derive their their uh, authenticity, their validation, not from mm-hmm. man, and not from even uh, church leaders, but from God Himself. So that uh, that is the place where I think we will have the best outcome of repairing the breach mm-hmm. is to be biblical about these these topics and uh, find our way to 
a handshake, even if it's a handshake with still some scratching of the head with your free <laughs> hand uh, about the other. Yeah. And do you see, so because there are many Protestant denominations, there's also many um, of these mission orders that exist. A lot of denominations have um, developed a mission order that um, is associated with their larger denomination. There's mission orders, um, you know, sending agencies, whatever you want to call them, that exist kind of independently from denominations right. um, that are more ecumenical. Uh, so whereas in the, the Catholic model that preserved these two structures for so long, you had different, you had different orders, you know, the Jesuits um, versus the Augustinians versus you had different groups, but we're all kind of part of the same larger, um, it's all associated with the, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. um, with, with Protestantism in our orders, we have kind of this proliferation of, of different orders that are kind of independent of one another. Right. Do, do you see that as... Uh, an advantage of something to be celebrated that we have all these different orders or would you see that as um, a challenge and a difficulty that the orders are separate and distinct? I think it's an advantage. It's not something we want to corral or homogenize or blend these different mission agencies together. Mm. There were, by the way, Denver, there were many more denominationally based mission agencies 50 years ago than there are today. Mm. Uh, denominations are usually totally busy with the, their churches where it already exists right. and have given up that ground to the more independent mission agencies. The largest one remaining, of course, that has a denominational relationship is the Southern Baptists, the IMB, and it's going strong. But uh, most of the others that I can think of have jettisoned that relationship, uh, leaving the independent missions to... Uh, find their way into churches. Now, churches then, as I'm trying to say, need to uh, in, examine the many different mission agencies that mm -hmm. want their attention, want their people, and choose this one instead of those five, and choose that one instead of those ten, and try to be uh, good stewards of yeah. their own church doctrine and what mission agencies are going to most advance the version of Christianity that that uh, denomination or that local church believes in. Mm. You've got the rise of, uh, of huge churches, you know, in the United States, and they have their own foreign policies. They act independently of the denomination if they mm. are part of a denomination. And they uh, present themselves as the missionary entity, which will do it all. And I, I want to get their attention and say, look, you still need to make a relationship with the church base, with the, with the mission agencies. You can't do it all. Uh, there are some tasks which need the focus that Paul and Barnabas had sure. to go to the regions beyond. So the great thing about our day is, is that mission agencies are prepared to help churches send church-based teams. Mm that the church would be in charge of, sent, of identifying its own members of a team, its own leadership, its own goal, where it will go to, and to, uh, to create with the mission agency a memo of understanding which would, uh, which would uh, allow the church to respect, to identify the doctrines that are important for that church, the outcomes that are important, 
And the mission agency's part then is to hold that church's mission team accountable for the goals which the church has identified. Mm. Here's the two things that I think a church needs from a mission agency in every case. Pre-field preparation for that missionary team, church-based team. Pre-field preparation and examination uh, in order to prepare the team. And then on-field accountability for the mission that the church has decided. This is a, a, a brand new day, Denver, in mission relationships to churches. Mm. And I think it does cheer the heart of many churches that I've been involved with who find that a mission agency, which is prepared to uh, oversee the pre-field preparation of their people mm-hmm. that are going as missionaries and oversee, supervise the on-field accountability for that mission, then that mission agency can fade into the background, doesn't need to be present in the church hardly at all, and the church can celebrate its mission. But it did create a handshake you know, mm. with a trusted mission or agency. Yeah, I think that's good to recognize some of those things that mission agencies provide that it would be impossible or at least very difficult for churches to, to do well. That I know for in our experience that our sending church is really, really um, good about loving on us, encouraging us. They're happy that they're able to send us. They're passionate about sending us. Um, but I think if, if I would have told them, hey, and we need you to prepare us and equip us for what life's going to be like over, over here. And, you know, we need cross-cultural training and language acquisition training and these different skills that um, are particular to those that choose to, to be part of those kind of more apostolic bands that go overseas. I think that would have been, um, a, 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 one, a big burden to our sending church, but also terrifying to think like, well, where do we even begin of, exactly to do so. this training? So to know that there was, for our sending agency to step into that gap and to say, we'll, we'll help with this preparation, with this training. You know, we have experience in this area. We're passionate about this area. That That's such a blessing to churches. And like you said earlier, lifts the burden off the shoulder of the leadership of the church. so much for listening. We would greatly appreciate if you just took a moment to give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really goes a long way in helping more people find us online. Also, check out our website at learninglaborers.wordpress.com. We are compiling some resources there and writing an occasional blog to help laborers in the ministry. So be sure to check that out as well. For now, Let's get back to the episode. I just want to say that these things are in the Bible, and yeah. we should not think of this as a uh, simply an effective way that works today or a clever way that mission agencies can give an excuse for why they exist, the rationale. <laughs> Uh, you've got Paul in the New Testament establishing what he calls in second in Romans 16 3 and 4 churches of the Gentiles oh man this is a mission given by the Holy Spirit 
which in no way was the Jerusalem church, the Pentecost church, prepared to do. So we have both going on, the church where it exists in Jerusalem and where it sends missionaries to the Jews in Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But then you've got this, this person, Paul, and his co colleagues, greet Priscilla and Aquila for me. They risked their necks for me in the preaching of the gospel. All the churches of the Gentiles greet them. Churches of the Gentiles. Then, Denver, you do a study of the churches that Paul founded, and you realize Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Lystra, Derby, the Gentiles in Antioch, they were all churches of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. they, had a, they had an opportunity to take back the Gentile word, world for the gospel rather than, to, rather than for those early missionaries to the Gentiles, extracting the first believers and mm. embedding them into a Jewish congregation and losing them, frankly, to the Jewish version. Then we would all have to come to Christ through the Jewish version of this. Mm -hmm. So to see Gentile churches thriving is an important study for us today mm. in the New Testament, Gentile churches. So when we are today looking at the world and finding there's still an edge to Christianity, beyond which are the regions beyond. Where are those regions beyond? The unreached peoples, among the great religions of the world. It's going to take a special effort, a special people, and a special dedicated outcome of starting churches among these people. Yeah. And, the, and the ones who go are given the authority to establish those churches and establish the elders. They have an originating authority in the church. They will fade into the background as those churches begin to multiply and take, we trust, uh, take back their own cultures from the dark side and establish churches. Uh, the, 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 mission, the missionaries will be forgotten and that's, they serve in obscurity like the 70 in, in Luke chapter 2. Mm. But uh, they had an original authority to start that thing without which you would never bring about the hope of Jesus Christ mm. in the regions beyond. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, so... Um, just guys, I was kind of more wrapping up. Uh, this this study has taken you through, you know, studying one the New Testament through some of the church history and and how these two structures have existed or not existed in church history, and then into you know more missiological studies of what it looks like today. Um, how would you say, you know, in all those studies, how is that? Can you think of ways that that's impacted your your personal ministry, whether that's the way you were doing ministry when you were on the field, whether that's the way you mobilize missionaries now, um, the way you interact with churches now, how, how, do you have you seen any practical effects of as as your thinking has developed in this area, how it's changed your? My vision is that ten times as many missionaries will go to the regions beyond mm -hmm. when we repair this breach between the two structures. This is an enormous mission that I feel. Per and every day I'm on it in mm. Denver and trying to work on this because I think there is a, a suppression of the number of missionaries that God is actually calling from the pews. Mm. I think there's a lot more people hearing the word of God on Sunday morning in the church and in their Bible study and wanting to go. But the church then, as we normally call church, the local ecclesia, mm -hmm. has not found its way to make that handshake, that entrusting, 
that the that the mission to the regions beyond will take place with the people in the congregations, but not being governed by the uh, the 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 session or the uh, ruling party, uh, ruling group of the church. So we have an opportunity to greatly advance the gospel to the regions beyond if we can send 10 times as many missionaries. And if you can think of any vision greater than that, you'll have to tell me because I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's a big vision. That's a big uh, task, but a, a beautiful one. Yeah, we'll pray that it that it is so that the 10 times the missionaries that are going now do start going. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, kind of lastly, do you have any advice for others who... Um, kind of as, as you have over the years, stand kind of in that liminal space, that in-between space between scholarship and, mm. and ministry. As you've you know walked that path, do you have advice for others that have a heart to study and to research and to, to look for these patterns in Scripture, to look, for, to look for models to look, and then but then also they want to bring that to um, the body? Do you have any advice? Yeah, so here's my three-word uh, piece of advice. Stay in school. <laughs> this article by Dorothy Sayers, The Lost Tools of Learning, still uh, it informs me on how I should mm -hmm. live. I want to listen to the teachers, but I don't just want to listen to the commentaries, and I don't just want to listen to teachers. I want to find out for myself the original documents, the, the things that really happened in history that lay there, that can become teaching moments. Mm. And, uh, and most of all, the Bible as the place I want to be in and learn from uh, and be corrected in and rebuked, you know, yeah. as, the, as the Bible says about itself. But the Bible says of, about itself in 2 Timothy 3.15 that uh, the scriptures are able to teach you, mm. Paul to Timothy. Then comes the more famous verse about all scriptures inspired, but the scriptures are able to teach you. So let's be people of the word, uh, people that are informed by, changed by, rebuked by, corrected by mm. this great text. But in our day, we know we can get more out of that text if we read the, the background, the culture, uh, talk with other people. Yeah. For heaven's sakes, Denver, talk to the Jews mm -hmm. about the New Testament. This is what has inform me a great deal is their understanding of the New Testament and these structures as Jewish, as originating in the Jewish yeah. uh, milieu. So uh, <clears throat> stay in school. Uh, this is one thing I've appreciated about the m mission of your own podcast is the place in between, where the place where scholarship and faith uh, can come together and make that contribution. Yes, mm. a little edgy, a little bit uh, not willing to accept things as they've always been in scholarship. Yeah, fully macro. That's because uh, we're not just mopping up what's already finished in scholarship. There is scholarship that will be done among the peoples who are not yet Christian. Mm. They will open up this same text. Mm. They will read it for all that it's worth in their culture, just like we did. And they will find things that will glorify God. Mm. They will find aspects of what it means that uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, this Hosea 6, 6 version, which, verse which we were talking about earlier. Uh, 
they will challenge their own culture mm. in its depravity to come out of that depravity and uh, and be devoted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. All that will happen in mission. So we want to know how to glorify God. It's great to keep studying uh, within the culture that we have, but when we will send missionaries and we will see large numbers of people converted and hungry for this word, we will see God glorified in ways that we cannot imagine yet. Mm. And if you can think of anything better mm -hmm. than that, you'll have to tell me. Yeah, it's amazing to think about all of the scholarship yet to be done by cultures that are yet unreached, the, the things that they will see that we would never see because of the lenses we approach scripture with. Yeah, that's and, a really And I can tell you point. from my experience and your experience as missionaries, this is happening now. Mm. The re I believe the great reason God made so many thousands of people groups was, uh, was so that when they come to faith and they realize the mercy of God for them, they will glorify God in ways that only they can, and mm. they will contribute to our knowledge of God in ways that only they can. Here's the text for that, Romans 15, 8 and 9. I tell you, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth in order to confirm the promises made to the, uh, to the prophets mm. so that, here's the so that verse, all this work is done so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Mm. And this Gentiles refers to then the great vast number of unreached peoples. Mm. When they come to faith and they, they join us at the communion table, mm. they join us in the assembly of the faithful, they join us in baptism, and then they join us in the study of this great thing. Mm. They will glorify God for his mercy in ways which are similar to our ways because the cross is the place they will glorify God for, for his mercy. But they will add enhancements to it. They will add aspects to it that are on the other side of the diamond that we couldn't see until they come to faith. So let's be about the finishing of the task of bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to the regions beyond. Yeah, that's a great exhortation to to finish the task because of the glory that, that those cultures and peoples will bring to God in their study of Scripture. But also an exhortation for now for those of us that are reading and studying to not neglect scholars from outside of our own um, that's right. cultural, cultural location, to read scholars from Asia, read scholars from Africa, read scholars from South America. There's a lot of amazing uh, research and and into the Bible and scripture and theology being done in these places that we could really benefit from. I remember in my master's program, I, I took a class called Global Theology, mm -hmm. and that was the point of the whole class was just, mm -hmm. here's a mm -hmm. list of books written by people that are not from the West um, and that are writing about Jesus, about the New Testament, about theology. And I, it was just really impactful to get those new perspectives. So I think that's a, a great exhortation for our listeners to to seek mm. out those other perspectives. Mm. Uh, finally, if if any of our listeners have um, had their curiosity sparked by some of the things you've talked about, especially with these two models, any recommendations for further study, further reading, um, whether that's the article by Winter about, um, I think you've uh, published a, a book on this topic. I have a book on this, on this uh, dissertation on this subject. It's almost unreadable. <laughs> so I'd like to instead point them to my blog, robertblinko.blog. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, okay. as well as the links to uh, your books uh, in case they want to 
to take okay. a deep dive on on some of these things. And uh, Bob, just want to thank you for you and your wife's um, commitment to um, the mission of Christ, um, for the time you've served overseas, reaching uh, unreached people groups, and also the time that you continue to serve, mobilizing others to go, um, and and for all the work, especially you're doing in in bridging this gap and repairing this relationship between um, the larger body and and these kind of apostolic structures like sending agencies really just appreciate it all. Thank you. And may Jesus Christ be praised in all the earth. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Bob. our episode and thanks again for listening. The Learning Laborers exist to create an intentional space for ministry experience and scholarship to overlap. We want to thank everyone who supports us and helps make the podcast possible. And if you are interested in supporting these efforts, check out our Patreon where you can join us by giving as little as $3 per month. Our hope is that more laborers, more ministry leaders, can feel resourced to point people to Jesus through their study of scripture. Continue to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts.